They were the outlaws that made headlines and a new film called The Highwaymen tells the story uh, about the lawmen that made history. Uh, in studio, I'm really pleased to have director John Lee Hancock uh, of The Highwaymen, of the founder of The Blind Side. It goes on and on and on, Saving Mr. Banks, lots of movies. Uh, welcome. Uh, thank you. Nice to be here. And uh, this will play... If you happen to be in Toronto, you can see it on the big screen uh, on this weekend. Uh, if not, uh, March 29th on Netflix, globally, around the world. And it's interesting, you know, that kind of audience uh, must be kind of mind-blowing. I mean, as someone, this is your first film for Netflix, right? Yes. And so the idea that it's going to go global, that people around the world will have a chance to see it at the same time in their homes, is a much must be a, a bit of a different mindset than it is opening something theatrically at first. It, it, it definitely is. And I, I have to say I've enjoyed it because normally you're headed toward just that first Friday and living in Los Angeles, you'd get a call at about four o'clock and they would tell you what the initial, mm -hmm. uh, you know, domestic was from the East Coast from a few theaters. And they would then project what your total domestic, you know, tally would be. And you'd go, wait, they haven't, <laughs> it hadn't even shown in Los Angeles yet. Yeah. Um, so you're heading toward just that one day. Whereas with Netflix, you know, it's opening in theaters, limited and then wider, uh, so people do get a chance to go see it in theaters. But um, but the idea behind it is they said we care less about the first weekend and more about weekends two, three, four, five, six, seven, and 8. Which is counter what happens in Hollywood now. Yes. The Hollywood only cares about that first weekend. And when you were describing, you get that phone call, mm -hmm. you know, the, 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 the East Coast numbers are in, it's an algorithm, right? They yep. just sort of extrapolate from, yes. you know, a handful of theaters and go, okay, well, if it happened there, it'll probably happen in the rest of the country and yeah. away you go. And they, ba and, they, and they actually base then their marketing dollars that they've set aside for the movie. Are we going to spend that amount, spend more or right. cut it in half? Right. It must be nerve-wracking. We're going to talk about The Highwayman in a second, but it, I find this fascinating. It must be nerve-wracking as someone who's a creative person who has worked potentially for years on a project mm -hmm. like that, and then you get the phone call saying, yeah, you know what, we're cutting that budget in half because of mm -hmm. you know these numbers that we got, the early numbers. Yeah, even, if it, even at its quickest, it's a year and a half of your life, so. Wow. Yeah. How do you stay interested in something you know, over if it's longer than that, how do you how do you stay focused on a project that long? Well, I think that's one of the questions I try to ask myself when I'm considering whether to direct something. You know, will I will the will my interest be maintained through however long it takes, a year and a half, two years? And is this going to excite me enough to wake up at four thirty in the morning and go shoot? That's right. That's right. Well the highwaymen clearly did. Yes. Uh, so let's talk about the Highwaymen. This is not the story of Bonnie and Clyde, although they are they are the MacGuffin, I guess. They are the thing <laughs> that keeps the action moving along. Uh, but it's the story of the two former Texas Rangers who hunted them down. So we know pretty much how this movie will end. Yes. So that must be a bit of a challenge. We've seen Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway go down in a blaze of bullets. This tells the story kind of from the mirror image of that, the two men that, that orchestrated that. So what inspired you to share this particular story? Um, growing up in Texas, I knew a decent amount about Bonnie and Clyde. I knew some about Frank Hamer, who's the most legendary Texas Ranger of all time. Um, but when I read John Fusco's script 13 years ago, I was fascinated by its focus on the Texas Ranger side of things. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I looked at it because I love the I love Arthur Penn's 1967 film. Yeah, and it's a, a watershed moment in American cinema. Um, and so I felt this was kind of a companion piece, and it just slid the camera over to another part of the story. So that fascinated me. And like you said, we know how it ends, but yeah. I've done several movies where we know how it ends, and right. we, we know Ray Kroc builds McDonald's. And, right, right, right. And, uh, and we Peter know, Pan made it to the screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> on and on and on. So it always is about, if that's the A-plot engine, it's always about something else for you and what the movie's about, too. And for me, it was kind of the lonely journey of these two men who have a terrible gift. And that gift is they're really good at hunting and killing people. And that's what gives the movie, I think, its gravitas. We've seen lots of chase films. We've Mm -hmm. seen lots of good Mm -hmm. guys versus bad guys. But I think the thing that makes this film... Uh, for me so compelling, is you have Bonnie and Clyde who were folk heroes. And it's really interesting to see it brought to life in the film where uh, we see them in a small town. People recognize them. Someone runs away. And I thought at first, okay, they're running away because it's Bonnie and Clyde. No, they're running away to tell their friends that Mm -hmm. Bonnie and Clyde are in town. And they get mobbed as though they're the Beatles or Elvis Presley or something. It's really remarkable. Um, Everybody in Texas has a story about their their great-grandmother or whatever (laughs) who Bonnie and Clyde came to the local diner we're eating and I got my autograph book and got a signature. Wow. Um, so yeah, they were kind of folk folk heroes during that era. And, and that's one of the one of the themes, not the main theme, yeah. I think, but one of the themes of the movie I think that makes it a, a contemporary idea movie is the cult of celebrity. Mm-hmm. And why were they so famous? I mean their their robberies were audacious. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were a, a you know, man and a woman, which was very unusual. Uh, you know, she was smart, which mm-hmm. I think that people thought that criminals weren't supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know, very clever uh, in a lot of ways. But what was it that turned them into kind of Robin Hoods? Because they didn't give money to the poor. They didn't do the stuff that, you know, you think of right. you know, from Robin Hood and other legendary people like that. I, I think one of your points is is key, and that is Bonnie. I think she's the reason... Uh, they were elevated above John Dillinger and mm-hmm. Pretty Boy Floyd and Babyface Nelson, and they all had great monikers, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, just because there was something that was really romantic and created a mythology about young lovers on the run. Mm-hmm. I think also the fact that it was Depression era and times were hard and banks were not favorites. Uh, they would foreclose on farms and homes and businesses and uh, people were, were living in hard times. And so I think they wanted to glorify and mythologize in a way Bonnie and Clyde as someone who was one of them who was sticking it to the man. Well, there's a quote, and I'm just looking through my notes here. There's a quote uh, from the film about banks. And uh, they say, you know, hey, uh, we hate banks. And uh, uh, someone else says, well, they, Bonnie and Clyde, rob banks and the banks rob from me. Mm-hmm. It's a great line, and mm-hmm. I guess that sums it up, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a little short-sighted in that they conveniently left at the fact that, oh, well, they killed 13 people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I think that they were so in need of someone that spoke for the little guy right. that they kind of filled that niche. I'm speaking with John Lee Hancock. The film is called The Highwaymen. It is playing in Toronto this weekend, March 29th on Netflix, wherever you may be situated. You can uh, you can have a look at stars Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson as the men uh, who hunted down uh, Bonnie and Clyde. And no, that's not a spoiler. We know, we know how it ends. It's the journey in this case. And the journey is fascinating. So you have these two former Texas Rangers who are at very different 
points in their lives when we meet them. Mm-hmm. Woody Harrelson's character has not had particularly good luck. Uh, Kevin Costner's character, more so. He's prosperous. Things are going well for him. Has a nice car. Looked mm-hmm. like a Jaguar. Was that a Jaguar car? No. It, it had the, the little... That was actually the uh, the Greyhound in the front of them yeah. was uh, the hood ornament for the 34 Ford V8. Ah, okay. Because I thought, wow, it's Jaguar pretty... in, that, in, in that era? Yeah. So... Uh, so he's prosperous, uh, but they are both troubled by their past. And Woody Harrelson, I think, wears it on his face a little bit more. Kevin Costner is more, much more stoic uh, in his in in his uh, demeanor. But it's a fascinating character study of those two men. So tell me about casting them, because if we don't care about them, then we don't care about the movie. Right, we're sunk if if it doesn't work in terms of chemistry and and buying into them. I think, you know, obviously it was in the screenplay, but I think in choosing Kevin and Woody, um, you hit on it. Um, there are two sides of a coin mm-hmm. of a person, and Woody's more the conscience. Yeah. And I think he wears the wounds on his soul on his sleeve and on his face. And, um, he and does, medicates with a bottle. And medicates and doesn't sleep and is, you know, is, 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 is life's kind of, he comes into this enterprise very wounded. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin playing Frank Hamer pushes it down more and would have you believe that, look, our job is to get the bad guys. Some people deserve to die. That's what it is. But hopefully by the end of the movie, you realize that it bothers him too. And he just deals with it differently. Yeah, they, they really are uh, two kind of remarkable characters. They're very much based on real people. Mm-hmm. Um, are there descendants left? Do we know? Have you been in touch? There, there are. Touch? One thing I should say is that Maney Galt is a bit of an amalgam of right. several different Texas Rangers that Hamer had paired with. Right. Um, that said, the fact that he was in the posse and, and Hamer, you know, wanted Maney alongside him... John Fusco, you know, built up the character of Maney Galt a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that said, um, they are they're you know real people, real legends, and they have real families and descendants. And you always want to show the movie, you know, to the descendants. Just you know, you hope they like it, and yeah. if they don't, you would rather hear about it up front and yeah. not have it you know come through the back door once the movie comes out or something. So we had several screenings: Austin, Dallas, Denver for Descendants, and they all they all loved it and. Heartily approved. We just have a minute left, but uh, we I want to talk a little bit more about the casting of both Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson. Start with Kevin Costner, and I was saying to you before we turned on the microphones, you watch him do nothing in a scene, mm-hmm. do nothing, standing there, and you mm-hmm. can't take your eyes off him. And that's when I that that's the mark of a movie star. That's when you realize I'm watching a movie star. It's absolutely true. I mean, you know, sometimes my only direction to Kevin would be, you know, do less or yeah. I just whatever behavior you have, I'm fascinated by. Don't worry. It you know, you're doing enough. <laughs> <laughs> I think it seems counterintuitive. You're trying to fill the screen. You mm-hmm. want to make it big. You want to make it loud. You want to be noticed. Mm-hmm. But often, less is so much more. I'm in conversation with director John Lee Hancock. His new film is called The Highwaymen. Uh, it is in Toronto at the Tiff Bell Lightbox on uh, this weekend. And then March 29th, you'll be able to see it everywhere on Netflix. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about working with Kevin Costner, uh, talk about Woody Harrelson, and uh, I want to talk about exactly how faithful the film is uh, to real events. Stay with us. Welcome back. Bonnie and Clyde were the... Uh, 
probably, well, preeminent married couple villains <laughs> slash heroes uh, of the 1930s. Uh, the lawmen who brought them down were the people uh, that are the subject of a new film called The Highwaymen, directed by my guest, John Lee Hancock. We were talking about Kevin Costner and how he is really remarkable in his ability to do very little on stage, but show a rich inner life. And I think that's what that's what makes a movie star. That's what, what makes somebody interesting. You've worked with Michael Keaton. He does exactly the same thing. Um, you know, I I often default thinking about Michael Keaton in movies like uh, Beetlejuice and things where he was a little broader, but look at him, his work in your film, The Founder, and it's much more stoic. It's much more uh, internal than it is external. And that's interesting to me. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm very into behavior and I love when talented actors just fall into the skin of a character. Mm-hmm. And, and I love just watching them. And so, you know, when you talk about the case of Michael, uh, the behavior, how Ray Kroc walked and the kind of journey that he was on and having these discussions with Michael where we would say, I want him to be jangly when he walks at <laughs> yeah. the start because he is a salesman and he's desperate right. and you can have ticks and do whatever that is. We're going to put you in ill-fitting brown suits Nothing's quite right. Yeah. And then it's in by the end, you move like a shark. Yeah. I, I thought of Snake. Yeah. Same idea. Like mm-hmm. it, he, he is. He's much more fluid. Yes. Uh, he's got the, I don't know if it's exactly a swagger, but he's founded McDonald's. He's mm-hmm. got the, the feel of a, of a wealthy guy. But underneath it all, if you scratch the surface, mm-hmm. you're going to find that scrappy, jangly guy in the brown, ill-fitting suit. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, when he's you know practicing his speech and looking at himself in the mirror... That's the one person he can't lie to. That's right. That's right. Uh, we're talking about The Highwaymen starring Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson. We talked about uh, Costner. Woody Harrelson, uh, an actor I love because he uh, can appear in indie films. He's a lead actor. He's a character actor. He is, you know, he can do it all. Mm-hmm. And in this film, he's tremendous in this film because he plays a guy who's carrying the weight of a life lived I don't know even how to say it really, not exactly proudly, proud to be a Texas Ranger, but not proud of everything that he did. Mm-hmm. And he wears that on his face. Tell me about finding him. Sure. Uh, one thing I should say, I've talked about Michael Keaton and didn't talk about Kevin. Kevin and I worked together on A Perfect World. Oh, that's right. Back yeah. in 1992, yeah, yeah. where he was playing an escaped convict. That's so right. this is the other side of, the, of that yeah, coin. Yeah. And, uh, and so we've been looking for something to do together for a long time. And he initially read it about 10 years ago, loved it, but said, I'm not old enough yet. Funny. Right. And he was right. Yeah. And yeah. so we were you know, very fortunate to get him. And I knew it was a, a pitch that he would knock out of the park. Yeah. Um, but, but then Woody um, read it about six years ago. And in, you know, Woody said, read it and said, I love it. Um, <laughs> when do we start? Wow. And I said, I'll let you know. I didn't know it was going to be six years, yeah. but uh, he's been in for a while. Uh, why does it take so long? You often hear this. You said initially when you first read the script 13 years ago, I was like, well, what the hell? It's a good script. But it, has it been rewritten a hundred times since mm-hmm. then? Or what? No, yeah. not really. Um, the original cast was Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Yeah. And one of my, one of the best days of my career was spent in Westport, Connecticut, um, spending the day with Paul Newman it's and good. talking about everything from spaghetti sauce to life to Racing this movie <laughs> to race cars. Uh, but it was obvious that his health was not 
right. was not in a good enough place for him to do a movie that would be as stringent mm-hmm. and as he- much heavy lifting as this one was. Um, but to, to answer your question, I mean, I'm partly to blame because everybody always loved the script. It wasn't, I mean, John's script was great. Uh, through the years, I did several rewrites on it just as you'd come back to it and say, oh, I, I figured something out to make this a right. little better. But it's John's, it's John's script. And um, it, uh, I, you know, would go off and do a movie. Uh, it would come up every so often. Everybody loved the script. Be like, well, we want to make this, but we didn't have quite enough money. Or the calendar would change for an actor. He right. wants to do it next year at yeah, the end of next year. can't do it now. And so, yeah. and so I would go off and do another movie. So I'm partially to blame. I can't blame Hollywood for all of it. <laughs> because you so often hear it, and, and I often wonder why. Why does it take so long to get these things made? But I know that Hollywood also has uh, the turning radius of a warship. You know, it's very slow and takes a long time to make things happen. It, it's true. And then every once in a while, you'll have a, you know, something like with a perfect world. It was like I didn't have an agent. And then I wrote a script and almost immediately I had not only an agent, but other jobs and Clint Eastwood directing the movie with Kevin Costner starring. And it seemed like it happened in about a week. <laughs> That's Clint. Yeah. He doesn't waste time. No. <laughs> I'm speaking with John Lee Hancock. The film is called The Highwaymen, playing in Toronto this weekend on Netflix everywhere on March 29th. How faithful is this film to events that really took place? Because I go into films that are based on a true story thinking I'm not watching a documentary. Yeah. I am watching a film that is geared for my entertainment, mm-hmm. where characters are as you said with the Woody Harrelson characters, amalgams of, you know, several people, you have to take dramatic license. What was taken here? Um, I, th- I think you're right. You always have to take dramatic license. You try to be as accurate as possible as long as that's dramatic and entertaining. I have no problem foreshortening things that happened into one scene, for instance. But every, I'm sure every director has their own kind of litmus test about what's okay and what's not. Right. Um, for me, for instance, there's a scene in the movie between Henry Barrow and Frank Hamer. Uh, so uh, uh, Clyde's father and Frank Hamer, the man who was hunting down Clyde at yeah. the moment, this is a great scene. Michael Rooker, right? Uh, no, no, it's... Um, William Sadler. William Sadler, yeah. Yeah, yeah who's, who's fantastic. Um, and so did that scene happen at that time during the chase? No, it didn't. Did it happen? A version of it did happen in Arcadia after the ambush where Henry Barrow said to Frank Hamer, you did what you had to do. I don't blame you. And, you know, the the good thing is this is over for my family now. Yeah. So John Fusco smartly took that and put it in a place where it had more dramatic effect. And it certainly does. And there's a couple of moments. We're almost out of time in this segment. We'll come back. There are uh, a couple of moments in the film that I thought were really interesting as we get closer to the ambush, closer to what will be the climax. And you think, okay, the 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 natural inclination for me anyway would be to, to you know really make things go a little faster and try to build that tension. But instead, there are two kind of longish scenes of talking mm-hmm. that tell you so much about the characters and set the time and the place, and it builds tension. And we'll tell you all about them when we come back and continue my conversation with director John Lee Hancock, director of The Highwaymen. Stay with us. Welcome back. I'm really thrilled to have in studio director John Lee Hancock. His film, The Highwaymen, 
starring Kevin Costner, Woody Harrelson, Kathy Bates. We have to talk about Kathy Bates' mm-hmm. character. Um, is uh, playing at the Tiff Bell Lightbox. If you happen to be in Toronto this weekend or wait until next weekend, you can see it everywhere on Netflix. Uh, this is the story of the men who hunted down and and killed Bonnie and Clyde, the two most famous uh, outlaws of their era, of their time. And it's a story that we all know. It is uh, a story that has been visualized on film a few times, but this takes a different tack because we're seeing it from sort of the, the flip side of the camera. We're seeing it from the point of view of the two lawmen, the Texas Rangers. And just before the break, we were talking about two scenes that happened late in the film. One is a conversation between uh, Frank Hamer and, and who's the Texas Ranger and Clyde's father, Clyde Barrow's father. And then Woody Harrelson has a long speech where he talks about something that haunts him that happened decades ago. Mm-hmm. And for me, th- my, my idea, and this is why I'm not a director, and you are, would be to keep just momentum, 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 just keep this thing moving forward like a freight train. But as I was watching it, I realized the brilliance of putting these two uh, scenes, these two dialogue-driven scenes near the end because we have to understand the the that these lawmen aren't just simply hired guns. They're not just hired killers. They are not people who are good at tracking and hunting and killing. These are men with consciences, with people who uh, think a great deal and wear the wounds of their work on their sleeves. And those scenes both uh, give us that in spades and it makes the payoff, I think, at the end of the movie uh, even richer. Uh, well, thanks. I, I, I obviously uh, agree with that. Um, and I'm sure that there, but there, I'm sure there are some people that are, that are thinking, you know, seeing the movie, wait a minute, when are we going to kill Bonnie and Clyde? Yeah, but yeah. like you said before, we know the ending to this. So for me, the, the story of the movie was a very different one. And thematically it was about the toll, uh, taken on these men's souls in this long, lonely journey. Um, and so these stories from their past, have real relevance to that thematic journey in yeah. terms of the movie. Um, and I, I think they're both really incredible um, in those scenes. And Kevin with William Sadler is, you know, kind of heartbreaking. It is. Is it, You are seeing uh, the father of a very bad man saying to the man who's going to kill him and hunt him down, well, you know, it's okay. Don't worry about me. You got to do something for the greater good, and ultimately, it will benefit my family because the Barrow name has taken a bit of a kicking lately. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it also kind of discusses, in a way, when people take the wrong path. And mm. Frank, of course, talks about something from his past where he feels like he probably did take the wrong path, but it worked out. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a discussion that's interesting. It, yeah, it is. And so uh, I don't want to give anything away, but he, he, he does something that morally is probably not right, but it ultimately it worked out. It was a revenge thing. Let's, yes. uh, that, let, let's let it sit there. So how do we feel about them then? How do we feel about these two characters who happen to be wearing badges, mm-hmm. who happen to have brought down these two outlaws, but you know, history looks at them as heroes, but, you know, they were hired guns I, I, in some I, ways. Yes, yes, they were. And I think they, you know, I, I think you should feel somewhat conflicted. These are men who come into the story wounded. Yeah. They have wounds, and it's just how they're exposed in the movie, I think, is the interesting 
is the interesting thing. And like I said, it's it's about the the toll on their on their souls. And 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 there's a there's a line in the movie that sounds almost like a movie line. Not not that it's bad dialogue or anything, but Kevin says, "We know what's at the end of the road, and it's always bloody, and it's always the same." Yeah. And it sounds kind of like a movie trope line. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what I wanted to do was make sure that we um, kept that promise to the audience in terms of what he's saying is this is ugly mm-hmm. and it's an ugly business and we wish we didn't have to do it, but we know how this is going to end and it's going to mean more sleepless nights and more scars on our psyche. Yeah. And um, then when it happens in the ambush and, and, and you see at the end of it, it's no, there's no joy in Mudville. I mean, it is, it yeah. is, it is depressing all the way around. I'm speaking with John Lee Hancock, a director of The Highwaymen, uh, on Netflix on the 29th in theaters this weekend. Interesting, after it's happened, after the event has happened and Bonnie and Clyde have been gunned down, there's a parade. I mean, they're, they're bringing the, the bullet-ridden, bloodied car through town and people are just going mad for it. They're reaching and trying to get a lock of Bonnie's hair and all that kind of stuff. And Kevin Costner, and as Frank Hamer, and Woody Harrelson are standing by watching mournfully almost, not taking any joy in the idea that they've completed their job. And it's not because the job is over. It's because of the form that the job took. And someone comes up and says, hey, there's someone on the phone that'll give you a thousand bucks for an interview. And Woody Harrelson says, shame on you. Get out of here. And that, again, one of these little scenes that within a minute tells you Mm -hmm. a depth of character that you could spend pages of dialogue on and never quite nail. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a, a a nice moment too that that the truth is we kind of toned down Arcadia a little bit because they tried to cut off Clyde's trigger finger and his ear. Yeah. And it the population went from like 4,000 to 10,000 in the very few hours it took for a tow truck to get out to the ambush scene and take it to the the town with the mortuary, the nearest town, which was called the Congress Furniture Store. And that part of the country, a lot of times furniture stores in the front and mortuaries in the back. (laughs) So they took it there. And I don't think when you move in and when you move out. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And uh, layaway takes two different meanings. Um, So, um, you know, in my mind, I think Hamer and Galt were um, probably not expecting what happened in Arcadia, and it's kind of the worst of humankind, yeah. and it goes to that cult of celebrity. They loved him when they were alive. They love him even more when they're dead. Interesting that we talk about the cult of celebrity because as I was watching this, Bonnie and Clyde kind of hid in plain sight often. Mm-hmm. They were not, you know stealth criminals that were living in, you know, criminal lairs underground. They were, mm-hmm. they were around. People knew where they were often. And I was thinking, you know, are they the types that would have Instagram accounts? And you know what? Probably. Yep. And they would they would tweet more than our U.S. president. <laughs> but the, the, the cult of celebrity built up around them. Do you think in your research into this that they were – they were looking for that or it was thrust upon them and it happened and then they just took advantage of it? Or was it just this perfect storm of, of adulation and, and whatever else that came rocketing their way? There's a little of all of it. I think that they thought of themselves. I mean, she certainly thought of herself kind of as a movie starlet. Mm -hmm. He wanted to be a great, you know, saxophonist and musician. 
Um, but it wasn't until there was a camera left behind, and whether it was purposeful or not, no one will ever know, in Joplin, Missouri. And inside were, um, you know, it was negative, and so the negative was exposed, and we got these famous pictures that are shown through the credits in the movie and that a lot of people have seen. You can, you know, pull them up on the Internet. And when the American public, and, the, and all these pictures went above the fold on every newspaper, both, you know, nationally and internationally, and they went, wow. So they were aware of branding before branding. So <laughs> they jumped on board with that. And, you know, and Bonnie realized if I write a poem, they'll print it. Right. And Clyde said, if I write a letter to Henry Ford saying, you know, I only steal your cars because yeah. they're the best, um, it's going to be printed as well. I mean, Bonnie started talking about uh, people in America as her public. Right. They're the criminal Kardashians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think that... Uh, this film will change people's ideas about um, that kind of cult of celebrity, or is it just reinforcing something we already know? I, I think it's, I, I would like to think it would change, but probably like Frank and Maney thinking that having killed Bonnie and Clyde is now over, and they made him more famous. That's right. So I think probably it'll just feed on itself further. I'm speaking with director John Lee Hancock. The film is called The Highwaymen uh, at the Tiff Bell Lightbox this weekend, next weekend on Netflix everywhere. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about uh, The Highwaymen. I also want to talk about Walt Disney a little bit. I want to talk a little bit more about Ray Kroc. It, it, it's fascinating to me that in the last number of films that you've made, you've really looked at sort of American exceptionalism in a way uh, that shows both the good and the bad sides of it. I want to find out why. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. The Highwaymen is in theaters right now, March 22nd through till whenever. It's an open-ended run at the Tiff Bell Lightbox, if you happen to be in Toronto. But this show's heard across the country. So next weekend, March 29th, uh, you can see it on Netflix called The Highwaymen. It is the story of the men who hunted down Bonnie and Clyde. And it is directed uh, by my guest, John Lee Hancock. Um, we've talked about... Um, the, the characters, Bonnie and Clyde, of cult of, of celebrity that, that grew up around them. But I'm noticing a theme in your work of late. Even though all the films have been quite different, this one does not feel like The Founder, your last film. It's got a different kind of vibe to it. Uh, but the film before that, Saving Mr. Banks, a, a different vibe again. But the thing that the thread, I think, that connects them all is that you're examining uh, these, these bigger-than-life characters – American characters uh, that all existed kind of at around the time of I don't, American exceptionalism when people looked at that and thought, these guys are changing the world. Walt Disney building something we've never seen before. McDonald's, I love it. They're everywhere. I want one in my hometown. And then the, the, the Texas Rangers who, who hunted down Bonnie and Clyde. What is it about sort of maybe that era? We're talking – a span of 40 years probably, mm -hmm. but, but that era and those kind of characters that, that appeals to you so much. I think it's, it's when you, when you're looking at icons and I use that with a little eye kind of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with, with Ray Kroc or it's Walt Disney, but well-known, very successful American, uh, people. I think that, um, what interests me is, is not like how can I cut them down or you know show the you know, show all the warts and all that. It's but it's also not about 
polishing the statues of them either. I think that people are most interesting or the characters I'm most interested in are the ones, I mean, like I mentioned before, I'm interested in how are you wounded and how is that exposed in the story? Right. Because we're all wounded. We all have scratches and claws from past experiences and things that shape us. And, and, and how do we reveal that? I mean, when, when it's Walt Disney, it's revealing, you know, his very, very tough childhood with his father, who he also, you know, apologizes for to yeah. P.L. Travers, which is sweet. And that's very much him. It's also not really a movie about uh, Walt Disney. It's two weeks in the life of Walt Disney. It's more P.L. Travers. Yeah. So it's not an examination of him soup to nuts, birth to grave or anything like that. Um, whereas Croc, even though it's a very specific time period, you get a little bit more of the before and the after, but I'm just, I don't know. I, I like, I, I, I don't know. I like kind of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And I think even people that become extraordinary started off as ordinary. And so I'm more interested in how they became extraordinary. I, I thought of it as looking at outsiders who who stepped inside the circle. I mean, we all know there's more people outside the circle than there are in, right? Mm -hmm. We're all outsiders in, in some kind of way. Sure. But all these characters start from a place where they're not uh, accepted initially, I think. The Texas Rangers, a slightly different thing, except when we first meet them, mm -hmm. their heyday is past. Yes. And they're looking for a, a bit of a rebirth, I guess, but their heyday has passed. It's it's true. I mean, in, in today's you know vernacular, we'd probably say that they weren't really PC. Right. And <laughs> and, and Ma Ferguson, you know, when she ran for governor again, yeah. um, the Texas Rangers, you know, actively supported her opponent um, because she was also a little crooked, just like her husband, the former governor, Paul Ferguson, <laughs> only in Texas. Um, and, uh, you know, because they would give furloughs for checks right. and there were some thousands and thousands of people that got out of prison based on writing a check. And the Texas Rangers didn't really like that. We hunt them down. You put them in prison and then you let them out for a check, you know. Um, so they actively kind of worked against her. And so she paid them back when she won uh, the gubernatorial race by kind of reshaping the Texas Rangers almost to be like Hoover's forebears for the FBI. These are more shiny suits, yeah, yeah. accountants, use your brain and technology kind of guys, because as it says in the script um, in the movie, um, you know, there's always blood to show for a Texas Ranger expedition. Right. Well, and, and Frank Hamer, we see him walk around a crime scene at one point and he's mm -hmm. looking at, you know, uh, footprints that everyone else has ignored and he's picks mm -hmm. up a bullet and they, they, both he and Woody Harrelson's character have a look at this crime scene in a much different way than these guys in suits and the, the fancy cars and hats. They've got a phone in their car and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it, and, and, and it's, they used to did it very much the same way they would have tracked on horseback, which mm -hmm. is, you know, these were men that were probably born a hundred years too late and yeah. spent most of their careers on horseback and a lot of time in South Texas, which is rugged desert. And that's how you track. And you mentioned uh, Ma Rainey. So as I'm watching the film, Kathy Bates is on very early on. We, we meet her, and I was thinking, who is she now? Is she the mayor? Is she who? And then it turns out she's the governor. And I thought that can't be true. So Google first, like, and 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 I don't know if it's progressive, or 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 whether it was corruption or what it was. Uh, but th the idea that Texas had a uh, a female governor 
in the 1930s, not once, but twice, mm-hmm. uh, was kind of surprising to me. It, it's, it's surprising to a lot of people. Yeah, I, I, get, I get that a lot. And I think that at first, um, her husband, Paul Ferguson, was, was governor. I think there was some embezzlement scandal and he was impeached. Right. And, and so she became the, the shadow governor. And it was kind of a two for the price of one was how Pa phrased it, right. I think. And then when she ran again on her own later, I think she put Pa out to pasture and said, yeah. I, I got this. I'm, I'm better at this than you are. Yeah. And she's wonderful in the film. Uh, Kathy's just a treasure. Yeah. And There's something that's kind of bigger than life about her. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it was when I, you know, like I said, I've been on this 13 years. So when I was doing The Blind Side and Kathy Bates was in that and I loved her and I told her about this character of Ma Ferguson and she was fascinated uh, and thrilled by it. And I said, well, well, you have to do it. I mean, you just yeah. have to do it. And <laughs> she goes, well, let me know when. And so sure enough, it was announced that the movie was being made and I get a call from Kathy. How's my part? That's amazing. And I said, it's, it's great and we're going to figure it out. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned The Blind Side. Uh, I'm speaking, by the way, with director John Lee Hancock, his film The Highwaymen at the Tiff Bell Lightbox in Toronto this weekend, everywhere on Netflix next weekend. You mentioned The Blind Side. We've just come out of award season here, and um, I cover it as much as anyone who covers entertainment. Uh, but I often wonder what it must be like to be in the middle of that maelstrom. Do you campaign? What do you do? What's it like to be the director of a film that looks like it's going to start winning Academy Awards and they, people, there's money involved, there's everything starts swirling around all at the same time. What's it like to be in the middle of that? Well, with The Blind Side, it was completely surprising because it wasn't something, it wasn't a movie that people before it came out thought, oh, it's an awards type movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it caught fire so quickly that all the nasty people in Hollywood didn't have time to sharpen their knives. Um, and so because it is the, the night of long knives there, and it's and there are some people that love that. Yeah. And to me, I despise it. I think it, it's the worst of humanity and Hollywood. It's not our best foot forward time, and people will do anything. It's a full contact sport. It is. Do you live in, in Los Angeles or do you, are, are you distancing yourself or distance yourself? from? Well, yes and no. I live uh, in Pasadena, California, yep. which is like a small town in Ohio that happens to be <laughs> just outside of Los Angeles. And so close proximity to work and yet just removed enough so that you're not going to bump into someone that gave your movie a crappy review at the at the lunch counter. I, I wanted I wanted my children to be raised in a neighborhood where, you know, there were more normal people. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, looking at, I mean, Tom Hanks, Kevin Costner, Woody Harrelson, uh, Michael Keaton. What's the what's the thing that binds them? Those are your last four leading men, I think, unless I'm forgetting somebody. What's the what's the 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 the, the glue? I I think that. The, Ultimately, they all have this ability to surprise you in the tiniest moments Mm -hmm. where you can see a little light bulb come on or a turn with their eyes and it just makes you lean forward. And that's the stuff of movie stars. When you're directing someone like Tom Hanks, how comfortable is it to go, "Uh, Tom, you know what? I think we should do it this way. Well, I, I think what you do with fine actors who do something that I cannot do, and I have so much respect for that, my job is to kind of gently uh, move the story forward and keep everybody heading toward the goal. It's my job to look at the horizon and say that's where we're headed. Yeah. It's their job to make the most of that moment and have that scene. I'm not saying they don't understand the goal 
because you talk about it ad nauseum. But um, I think in the moment, it's just kind of the gentle reminders or, you know, with the Tom, it's you'd come in and say, I think, you know, I, I think I, I love what you're doing. I think you can you can be a little more angry about this or something like that. And he'll go and Tom in true Tom fashion will go, watch this. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, what's next? We've got a minute left. What's next for you? What are you working on right now? I'm attached to um, a television uh, show that's going to start shooting hopefully this summer uh, for the Paramount Network. And I've got an old script of mine from 25 years ago wow. that I rewrote because I always loved it. And yeah. um, we're out to actors now, and I think it has a chance of getting made. Does it feel like looking at a, 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 a different era of your life when you pick up a script you wrote 25 years ago? We're, we all change. We're all different people 25 years later. Yeah. No, I went back and read it because I, I really was proud of it. It was an original idea and uh, went back and looked. And some of it as a young writer, I'd look at it and go, this is a really bold choice. Mm. I'm not sure, you know, as galvanized as I am now that I would make that bold choice. And I love it. And then other times you'd look and you go, well, that's just bad young writing. I need to fix that. <laughs> My guest in studio has been director John Lee Hancock. The film is called The Highwaymen. You can see it in Toronto at the TIFF Bell Lightbox this weekend. Uh, globally, everywhere, no matter where you are, on vacation, at home, wherever, on Netflix on March 29th. Uh, John, thanks so much for coming. What a treat to have you. Oh, thank, it was, thanks. It was nice to be here, Richard. My thanks to Andre on the board. My thanks to you at home for listening. We'll talk again next week.